Good afternoon, Storehouse, as you guys find your seats. I'm going to do the reading for today. We'll be in Hebrews chapter 7, verses 26 to 28. For indeed it was fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unsustained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he was offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. Hope y'all are doing well. My name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching and teaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. It's a joy to be back with you. Uh, if you are new, it's been a while since I've been up on the pulpit, and I'll get to that in just a minute. In the event that you didn't catch Jay, we're going to find ourselves in Hebrews chapter 7. We're looking at verses 26 to 28, and so we find ourselves in the New Testament. While you're doing that, just a quick heads up, we're going to be bouncing around. We're sticking to Hebrews 7, but we're going to be bouncing around and looking at other scriptures also found of Hebrews. With all that being said, as you open or load your Bibles, as Izzy mentioned a while ago, today is the start of Holy Week, and we begin with Palm Sunday, which we'll get into a little bit more later on. And so I want to encourage you on a few things. Number one, if you have visited our website at any point, one of the things that you'll notice is that we love to hook you up with free resources. And so we have a devotional online called Reformed Liturgy, and it really is just a devotional filled with scripture and study questions for you to enjoy and work through, uh, particularly through the week that is Holy Week. With all that being said, Friday we will be having a Good Friday service, and Saturday morning, we haven't done this before, this is the first time, if you visit our website by 8 a.m., we're going to be having something on there for Holy Saturday. If you're unfamiliar with Holy Saturday, this is something new that we've done. And Holy Saturday is basically the day in between Jesus' death and Jesus' resurrection and how that day ultimately brings us hope in Christ. So we'll have something pretty creative and I think artistic for you on our website. All of that, visit the website for more info. Now, to me, not having been up here in a while, uh, uh, one, I want to thank you all for allowing me to get some time off from preaching. Uh, it has served me. It has served my family, particularly as we went out of the state to visit our son's college, and life is happening very fast. But in addition to that... In addition to that, I want to thank, and they're in here and they didn't know this, I want to thank both Alan Morales and Tony Garcia, who preached God's word faithfully. Yeah. They preached God's word faithfully and passionately to y'all. Uh, I was really excited to hear them preach. I was very thankful that I got to be here to watch Tony preach. He uh, opened up this year, and I was out sick, so it was really cool getting to see him a couple of weeks ago. So thank Thank you all for, uh, man, allowing me to get some time off, but at the same time, seeing these guys get some reps on the pulpit. They are talented, gifted young men, and I'm super thankful for them and their families. Yeah. So in the event that you see him running around, and that's Alan, Alan will hide. He'll do this thing where he, like, walks away like a coach. Don't let him. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and then Tony's taking pictures in the back. So now you all know who they are. Well, let's dig into our time, and we'll laugh a little bit more later on. As I mentioned, today is Palm Sunday. It's the start of 
week. And if you're unfamiliar with that, it's a time where we consider the final days of Jesus. Palm Sunday, according to scripture, begins with Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on a donkey while having people lay palms out in front of him. And as they do this, as he rides down what is called the Mount of Olives, all of these individuals begin to worship Jesus. And as he's doing this, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, come up to Jesus donkey, and they come up to Jesus and they say, hey, we notice that these individuals are worshiping you. You need to tell them to stop. And Jesus makes this really legit, awesome comeback that only Jesus can make. And he goes on and says that not only will he tell them not to stop worshiping, if he were to do that, the very rocks would cry out and worship And the Pharisees look at Jesus with rage and bewilderment, but also begin to accuse him even more of blasphemy. Still, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, it's only days before his crucifixion. And as that time and as that day approaches, that's where many miss it, including his own disciples. You see, as he rode down to Jerusalem on this donkey, at the end of the day, they were expecting a different kind of king. Not the kind of king that would die on a cross as redeemer, but one that storms to reform the political and social climate of their day. And so it begs a question for you and I to consider, and that is, what kind of a king are you expecting? For many, their hope is in characters, and this might sound a little comical because oftentimes we look to big, bright characters such as Batman who dresses up as a bat at night and beats up bad guys, right? Uh, Individuals like Captain America who have this super moral high compass. And though it sounds comical, a lot of individuals will begin to place their hope and faith in characters such as this. One writer, this is not on the screen, one writer says it this way. We love our superheroes because they refuse to give up on us. We can analyze them out of existence, we can kill them, we can ban them, we can mock them, and they still return patiently reminding us of who we are and what we wish we could be. In short, we want superheroes, we want these characters to be who we want to be. Maybe you're a little too mature for comic book characters. Therefore, what about candidates? You see, we desire change and opportunity, yet there are many people, including Christians, who place their hope in political candidates in order to expose the other party, right the wrongs of the one previously in office, and bring about order, justice, and hope for our country. It's almost interesting because in many ways, Christians would be like, yeah, you're cool with Jesus, but the real question is, who is your candidate? Once more, another writer goes on to say, political discourse today, especially in the church, is characterized by the brash confidence each tribe or ideology brandishes, meaning that they're constantly waving what candidate or party they're about. It's the certainty that my political views are correct and can be supported in scripture 
and yours are heretical and blasphemous. And so we see the church sometimes uh, twist scripture in a way to make it fit so that I seem more righteous than you do. Well, perhaps candidates are maybe too much of a touchy subject for you. You'll just post about it on social media later anyway. But what about, what about carvings and creatures? I came up with this as a junk drawer phrase and category that isn't fictional, but it's not political, but it's practical in nature. In other words, has your expectancy been in someone or something that at the end of the day cannot deliver what they promise? See, at the beginning of the year, we began to speak about idols such as comfort and sexuality, approval and achievement, and we concluded that while there are good elements in these, none of them can provide rest for our souls apart from Jesus. People who are, in the end, image bearers, are not creator, but created, which means that they fall short, and yet we will fill our baskets with the eggs of false certainty. The bottom line is that we are regularly tempted and swayed to give our allegiance to all sorts of kings except for the most fitting king. We are at times so convinced that the reign of our hearts would be better suited for a king of our own construction. Therefore, I ask one more time, what kind of a king are you expecting? On Palm Sunday, we are both reminded and reassured that Jesus is not a character, he's not a candidate, and he's not a carving, but our fitting king. And so let me pray, and we're going to dig into Hebrews 7. God, we thank you for such a day as today. Holy Week is a special time in the season of the church. Therefore, would you bless us and receive our worship today? May we make much of Jesus both in proclamation and in practice. And as we dive into Hebrews, would you expose our hearts and bring to light what we so often struggle with, what we fail to admit, what we fail to confess, Would you bring it to light so that we would leave it on the table and turn to Jesus? And so now, Lord, would you humble our souls and give us believing hearts? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Well, the author of Hebrews brings to light a great deal of clarity on what makes Jesus king over every other thing, earthly, heavenly. He brings to light this clarity. And so as we begin in verse 26, he goes on to say this. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. The word fitting in verse 26 means most appropriate. So if we were to reread it and add a little bit of commentary to it, this is what it would sound like, for it was indeed fitting. In other words, it was indeed most appropriate that we, the church, should have such a high priest. If you're unfamiliar with the Levitical priests, these were individuals who were chosen by God to stand before God on behalf of the people of God. We'll get into that later on. 
And so ultimately, in this one verse, what the author is saying is that there is no one who can save us apart from Jesus. There is no one like Jesus, because Jesus is the most fitting according to our need. When and if you ask, well, what do you mean by saved? I think I'm doing just fine. That would be a false certainty. See, apart from Jesus, we are physically alive but spiritually dead in our sin. And it is because of Jesus that sinners like you and me can come to not only be right with God, but know God through Jesus. Because there is none like Jesus, our sin, our transgression, our unrighteousness, our guilt, our shame, our despair, our defeat can all be pardoned and wiped clean through Jesus and only Jesus. Our desires, that is our longings, our loneliness, our disheartening, our dismay, and our distance can all be satisfied in Jesus and Jesus alone. That is why he is indeed fitting. Therefore, the great insight of this verse, once more, is that there is no one, no created being, no earthly being, no heavenly being, there is no one that can stand before God for us like Jesus because there is no one like Jesus. In this text, we're going to consider briefly the role of the priesthood from the Old Testament and why these individuals fall short just like everything and anyone else apart from Jesus. Therefore, you might ask, well, then what makes him the fitting king? And in verse 27... The author begins to give us five characteristics of Jesus that make him unique and most fitting. Once more, actually it's still verse 26, but once more, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest. Here we go. The first one is because Jesus is holy. Jesus is both set apart, that is he is distinct and pure. He is everything that we are not. Holiness is the very essence of Jesus' being. He is the truth. He is incorruptible. He is perfectly moral and perfectly holy. Jesus' holiness represents his life before God. He continues that Jesus is innocent. Jesus' innocence isn't only that he was without sin, and while that is true, But the word innocent here refers not only to his freedom from sin in action, but also in attitude. In short, he was pure of heart. Once more, Jesus was free from corruption. Jesus was blameless. No charge could be brought up against Jesus, and it stick. The third thing he says is that Jesus is unstained. Unstained has, it's a twofold characteristic. On one hand, he held to the word of God perfectly. On the other hand, as a result and as fully man, Jesus never gave in to temptation. He is not stained by sin. Jesus was tempted by all accounts, yet never gave in to the temptation of sin. Rather, he entrusted himself into the Holy Spirit. See, you and I only know that so much because you and I regularly give in to our temptation. 
If you and I think we know temptation, the reality is far from us. We really don't. And in addition to that, as Jesus entrusted himself into the Holy Spirit, when you and I fall into temptation, rather than actually owning it, you and I will do a number of things. We'll give the reasons as to why it was so difficult. We might even pull out the personality card. Well, this is my wiring. Or we might just blame it on others. Rather, Jesus hears not only sinless in action but attitude, but he entrusts himself to the Holy Spirit. Do you entrust yourself to the Holy Spirit? Number four, that he is separated from sinners. Now, this doesn't mean that he didn't hang out with sinners. This doesn't mean that he wasn't friend with sinners. In fact, one of his titles is the friend of sinners. But once more, this speaks to his purity and holiness, free from sin and action and attitude. And though Jesus underwent all manners of temptation, as I mentioned, he was separate from sin. And this is incredibly important for us. See, if Jesus is to represent us before God because we are sinners, then it is vital that he be separate from sin, its nature, its causes, and its effects. Yes, he was like us for our benefit and for our sake and was also sinless. He was in the world, but not of the world. And finally, number five, that Jesus is exalted. That is, because of who he is and because of what he has done for sinners in their place, Jesus is higher than every single being, earthly and heavenly. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father in all authority, dominion, and power, and will one day return to claim his bride, the church. That is who Jesus is. He is exalted. These characteristics are everything that Jesus is, and tragically, everything that we're not. Therefore, Jesus was fitted according to our deepest need. He is all that we are not, but need to be, and so he offered himself up for us. If Jesus had the slightest shortage in any of these, he could not represent us before God. But because this is who he is, he could stand before God for us. See, the character of Jesus tells us that because he is untouched by sin, he is able to give his life in our place and for our sin so that we might be forgiven by God, so that we might have access to the Father. So as we considered how Jesus is fitting in his character, let us give some attention to how Jesus is fitting in his conduct Here, we're going to dive into the weeds of the priesthood for a moment. So let's go to verse 27. The author writes, He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Into the beginning of 28, he goes on to say, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests. Okay? And so once more, the author of Hebrews gives us this insight into the high priest. He's given us this contrast before the high priest and Jesus. 
right? And so once more, in short, the high priests were men chosen by God to stand as a mediator between God and, uh, between God and the people of God. And in order for the people to be right before God, in order for the people's sins to be forgiven and pardoned, sacrifice was needed. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. Therefore, in order to continue being in right relationship with God, the people of God would bring animals for sacrifice to these priests. And as they would bring these animals for sacrifice, the priest would have to undergo uh, a ton of different ceremonial um, rituals. Let's call it that, right? One of which would be that the animal would be sacrificed in place of the people for the forgiveness of sins. The author of Hebrews uh, gives us a little bit more clarity about this in chapter 9. He goes on to say, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Okay? And so here, the writer of uh, Hebrews gives us a little bit more clarifying details. He goes on to say that the sacrifice that were conducted by these priests were daily. It's a lot of slaughtering. Let's just call it what it is, right? That's, that's a lot, right? And so these sacrifices were daily. But here were the other things. Here's the big contrast. One, they needed to make sacrifices for their own sins in addition to the sins of the people. Because the idea was that the priest was going to be coming before the presence of God in holiness and righteousness, but he himself fell short of this. Further, in verse 28, the author says that these men were weak, meaning that not only were they themselves sinful, that's why they needed to make their own sacrifices, but at the same time, their role was limited. Because in the pages of the Old Testament, some of them were corrupt, and then everyone definitely died. So they constantly needed to be replaced in order to be some kind of mediator between God and the people of God. At the end of the day, priests were a representative of what was to come. In Exodus 28, and you can go to that later on, Exodus 28 gives us the details of what the priests needed to do, and in, particularly, and in particular, what they needed to wear before entering into the presence of God. They needed to appear righteous and holy before God, and that was the point of why they wore what they wore. But that also demonstrates that they lacked the holiness that they needed. If they needed something to appear holy, then that tells us that though they may have had all of the tools for the right job, they themselves fell short. Sacrifices at the end of the day were a foreshadowing of what was to ultimately take place through Jesus' death on the cross for sinners. Once more, the writer of Hebrews clarifies this in chapter 10. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. Here's the great irony about Palm Sunday. The great irony is that as Jesus rode into Jerusalem, it was also the day of the Passover lambs, that the Passover lambs were driven in for slaughter. Then, in the midst of the Passover feast, as thousands of lambs had been slaughtered, at the same time, Roman soldiers' hammers were driving nails into the hands and feet of Jesus on the cross 
for us. And yet, though Jesus died on the cross, even death could not hold him. For Jesus is risen, otherwise he would not be exalted. You see, unlike the priests who were limited and sinful and corrupt and ultimately died, Jesus is the only one who is actually qualified to serve in this capacity. See, because of who he is and what he has done, that's why the writer says, since he did this, this is referring to his death on the cross, Jesus is the only one able to be the lamb who was sacrificed for the sins of all of his people. Jesus was equipped in a way that no priest could ever be. This makes Jesus' character and his conduct dependable. We can give our very life to him. The conduct of Jesus as the perfect, sinless sacrifice makes him the only one qualified to stand before God for our sake. And finally, as we have considered Jesus being fitted in character, in conduct, we turn to Jesus as being most fitting for our redemption. See, to be redeemed means to be bought out of something, to be purchased out of a former state. Biblically, sinners apart from saving grace are in bondage. They are enslaved to their sin. They can do no spiritual good. Yet through Jesus' sacrifice, sinners are purchased out of their bondage and into blessing, out of their slavery and into sonship, out of restraint and into redemption. Jesus is most fitting for our redemption because Jesus has been made perfect forever. And this is where the writer concludes. Verse 28. For the law appoints men, referring to the, great, uh, the high priests, for the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. When the writer says that the word of the oath appoints of son, this word came from the Father to Jesus. Jesus who was made perfect, who met every requirement by the law, who led a sinless life, and is the one who is able to mediate salvation. That Jesus was made perfect, free from sin. He is holy, blameless, and righteous. This is the word that the Father made to the Son in eternity past. And in Jesus, and and in Jesus' perfection, he gave himself up once for all time. Going back briefly to verse 27 at the end where he goes on to say, since he did this, that's referring to his death on the cross, once for all. In other words, all time. There was only one time that he needed to do this, that this needed to be done. That means that his death on the cross was sufficient He paid for our sin full. He made full redemption of our souls when he offered up up himself, unlike the Old Testament priests. Jesus sits 
as the great redeemer king, the great mediator between man and God, as the sinless savior forever, and as a result is able to save the uttermost. Verse 25 of the same chapter says this, that Jesus is able to save the uttermost, those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Because of his perfect sacrifice, because he is the sinless savior, Jesus is able to save the uttermost. The uttermost are the ones who are the furthest from God, the ones who are the most estranged, the the ones who are the most gone, Jesus is able to save them. And to add to that, Jesus always lives to make intercession. In other words, he is going to the Father. He is batting for you to the Father right now. He prays for you now, Christian. Not later on, not when you figured it out, not when you think you got it all done and knocked out and you made yourself good. No, he's doing that for you now. You have access to the Father because of Jesus' work done for you. Therefore, as no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, Jesus is perfectly fitted to meet your deepest need. And because Jesus is the only one fitting in character, in conduct, and in our redemption, we can place our trust fully in Jesus because it is only Jesus who can plead our case before the Father. It is only Jesus or it is only through Jesus that we can have access to God the Father because of our perfect representation in Jesus. It is only the Son of God that can bring about acceptance before the throne of God. So, What kind of a king are you expecting? See, on the regular, we're always giving our attention to a multitude of kings to meet our needs, and they continue to overpromise and underdeliver, leaving us full but never satisfied. See, characters give us the kind of hope that we long to embrace. Candidates give us the kind of hope that we long to see. Carvings and creatures give us the kind of hope that we long to be satisfied with. Yet Jesus is the only king fitted for our deepest need. Jesus is the most fitted character, not because he's fictional, but because he's everything we're not and then offers himself up for us so that we would be eternally transformed. He's the best candidate, not because he storms a political office, but because he storms the depths of our hearts and renews us with grace and forgiveness. And Jesus is most fitted according to our need precisely because he is not a carving or a creature, but creator and king. What are you afraid of in following and knowing Jesus? There is no sacrifice needed, for he is the perfect sacrifice. It is Jesus who removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh and implants his spirit in us, leaving us not only satisfied, but new. And so as we close, Christian, Jesus is your fitted king. Why are you looking for another? 
What are you afraid of? Let me invite you to both confess and repent of your sin or self-righteousness or unbelief, but at the same time to bring utter honesty before the Lord and his table. Return to the Lord and place your trust in him. And if you're not a Christian, love that you're here. It didn't have to be. So thank you so much. We're honored to have you. Jesus is the fitted king, willing and able to meet your deepest need. Why are you looking for this in others? If you've had terrible experiences, even in the church, I'm so sorry. Jesus isn't only the sinless savior, but the man of many sorrows. Therefore, let me invite you to confess and to repent of your sin. Turn away from false certainties and believe in the Lord Jesus through faith and repentance. He is utterly qualified, willing, and able to pardon any sinner who turns to him. Church, Jesus is not a character, nor a candidate, nor a carving, but our fitted king. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we confess our hearts before you. We know that Jesus is king. We know this, yet our lives fall short as they claim allegiance to other kinds of kings that attempt to reign in our hearts. Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for placing our trust in false idols and false certainties? Forgive us for dismissing and forgetting that Jesus is the only one fitting for our need. God, we ask that you would give us the grace to renew our hearts with steadfastness so that we may praise you with our hearts, with our minds, and with our will today.